Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. Um, I kind of uh, thought, you know, we've finished with Job and now um, I'm taken off this week. I'm gone for three weeks, uh, taking a bit of a break, I'm going to a place where I'll be well fed. Um, Mum's place. <laughs> well looked after. Absolutely. Um, so it will be a good, good time of catching up with mum. My sister is just, um, my baby sister is, is three months pregnant and so she's really excited. It's her first kid, so it'll be good to hang out with the family. Um, so I was thinking, what, what do I do this morning? It's this one week. And then I thought, well, you know, I've actually got quite, quite a lot of things to share on Wednesday night, so I thought I'd prep you for it, give you some idea as what's going on in my mind and the mind of our leadership um, so I went back and looked at some of the old sermons I preached and I mishmashed a few things because some of the things came out. So it might be a little repetitive today, but bear with me. Um, I'm going to start with a story that I shared a couple of years ago. Um, it was a time uh, when Isabella would have been about six months old. She's now 16, so that's a long time ago. Um, we were living in Washington, D.C., and uh, Monica's uh, mother and stepfather lived in Pittsburgh, which is about a five-hour drive away. And when you've got uh, family that even that far away, you still try to make the effort to go there. And we would try at least maybe once a month to drive up to Pittsburgh and spend the weekend with them, with uh, little Bella at the time. And we knew that road very well. It'd take about five hours on a good day. And usually by Sunday afternoon, about one o'clock, we'd, we'd make sure we'd try to get going so that we could be home in time for dinner by about 6, 6.30. And this one time, we were driving back, um, and, you know, you're going through, uh, you pass through a couple, you know, a couple of states, and you're on the highway, and you're out in the middle of really nowhere, and, you know, we're driving along, cruising, I think about an hour into the trip, and all of a sudden, there's gridlock on this highway. We just hit everyone's stopped, everyone's parked. And, you know, you're not like you're in a major city where you think it's traffic. So you know something serious has most probably happened further up. And, and here we are, stuck in traffic. And being the guy that I am, like most guys, we have this theory. As long as you're moving, you'll get there quicker, right? Yeah. Exactly, right? As long as you're moving, we'll get there quicker. So if I have to stand here and wait, we're not going to get there in enough time. So I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of this? We're in the middle of traffic, in the middle of nowhere, and I could see just a little bit further up, there's, a, there's an off-ramp. And I think to myself, okay, if I get on that off-ramp, I could find a way in and around. I'll get there. So I pull into the, you know, the emergency side road and speed up and get off. And Monica's looking at me going, do you know where you're going? Yeah, yeah, no problem. I'm a guy. We have internal GPS systems, you know. Right, guys? We're, we're a map ourselves, right? Um, so I'm thinking, you know, uh, DC is about that way and we're kind of driving this way. We'll get there. No problem. So we're driving in this country town. All of a sudden, a big sign comes up, welcome to West Virginia. And I'm thinking, hmm, that's not the right state. But okay, keep going, driving along. And little country towns pass by, and all of a sudden we come to a fork in the road. One's going left, the other one's going right. And I sort of panic, and I'm thinking, I don't know which way to go. But I took the right one and drove down, and about, uh, I don't know, 200, 300 metres down the road, it's a dead end, and there's this big lake in front of us. And Monica turns to me and goes, I thought you said you knew where we're going. And being the cool guy that I am, I said, honey, I wanted to show you this lake. Isn't it pretty? Look how beautiful it is. 
It's what? I don't want to see a lake. But honey, when will we see this lake again? You know, get me home. Okay, honey, turn back, you know, kind of. And go up and take that left road. And as we're driving down this left road, all of a sudden, you know you're in trouble when the road runs out and it turns into a dirt road. I'm in the middle of West Virginia. It's getting dark. The sun's setting. I have to turn my lights on. I'm on a dirt road. I have no idea where I am. And Monica's just kind of like, you can feel the tension. She's like, we're lost, aren't we? No, no, we've got this, honey. The dirt road turns into a rocky road. Bush all around us. There's no lights anywhere. I'm getting worried. As we continue to drive along, all of a sudden we see some sort of light up front to our left. And Monica's like, why don't you pull over and get some information, find out where we are? Honey, don't tell a guy to pull over and get from. We know what we're doing, right? Oh, yeah, and yeah. We had Isabella in the back that was kind of hungry and was crying pretty much most of the time while we are on this dirt road. Yes, that just added to the tension. I'm not pulling over. You need to pull over. And we come up. It's on the left. It's this wooden shack pub with neon lights and several pickup trucks out the front with gun racks. We're in West Virginia. I said to her, you want me to pull over? She's like, you keep driving, boy. You keep driving. <laughs> I kept driving. We were just worried because there may be a banjo in the background. I don't know why, but we're getting out of there. And it really got worrying after a while. But sooner or later, the dirt road became a regular road again. We go through a little town. There's the highway. We get on it. We get home about midnight that night. Yeah, point proven. <laughs> we keep moving we'll get there but the reality in life is sometimes sometimes we're on a road we're certain of the road we're on and something comes up that that makes us deviate you know it's a detour it might be something that we find is good or something that kind of pushes us in that direction and all of a sudden we find ourselves in the middle of nowhere wondering how we got there now power as a church has been around for a long time and and for the good of it We've always sought to follow God's path as a church. Every once in a while, we've kind of deviated, but we've always tried to get back on track. Three years ago, I arrived here in July 2010 with a lot of dreams, a lot of plans. And, you know, as a new pastor, you can't help walking into a new church with a whole list of things you're thinking you're going to do. About a month and a half into it, we get hit by an earthquake And guess what happened to those plans? (coughs) They were gone. All of a sudden, it was go, go, go. And it didn't get better, right? It got harder. Because February came, and all of a sudden, this was serious. We kind of laughed off the first one, right? Hey, we all survived that one. That's cool. Hey, look what we did. The second one had us in overdrive. And for three years... We worked really hard, really hard to make it work. And I believe we have. But we come to a point now where we need to look to the future and say, what are we looking towards? What road are we going to travel on? Spoke with our staff, had a few chats with them person who's here who knows this gave me this idea of this tree which was brilliant and I thought yes what does this tree mean and I had to kind of look at it and think it through 
But then I thought, you know what? As a church, there is one thing that we are anchored in. And who can tell me what that is? The Bible, the Word of God. Why? Where else do you read about Jesus? Does anyone else know where you read about Jesus? Philip Yancey's got some great books on Jesus, but guess where he bases them on? The Bible. Max Lucado has some awesome books on Jesus, but where does he base those on? The Bible. That has to be our foundation as a community of God's people. You with me? So the Word of God is our foundation. It's who we are. We can't deviate from that. We can, we can think of uh, creative ways of doing things. Um, we could express ourselves maybe differently from other churches. But at the end of the day, we are founded on the Word of God. With me? So what I thought this morning I would do is break down our vision in relation to a tree. And the first step I want to share with you is this. Being a Christ-centered community, growing, challenging, and discipling people in Christ. That is who we are. That is the basis of who we are. We're a community centered on Christ, growing, challenging, and discipling people. Now, when Christ came on earth, and I've shared this with you before, he chose not to go to Rome, which was the largest city of the empire at the time, kind of like uh, our version of New York City. If you want to be a photographer, where do you go? You go to New York. You want to be a a world-famous journalist, you're in London, or you go to the big cities, you don't go to Wichita or to Hokitika, right? Or Timaru. You don't go to those places to be a world-famous journalist wanting to change the world, right? But Jesus chose not to go to Rome. He chose not to go to Athens either, which is like the cultural center of the empire at the time. He chose not to go to Athens. He chose not to even go to the capital of God's people, Jerusalem. He he ignored Jerusalem. He didn't even go to the district of Jerusalem. He went up north to Galilee. And he didn't go to Scythopolis, which was the largest city in Galilee, where there was the university, where, you know, the markets were, where everybody gathered, you know, in, in the region. He didn't go there either. Nor did he go to Capernaum, which was the place where the synagogue was in that region. He chose to go to a little town called Bethsaida, which translated means house of fish. Sounds like a fish and chip shop. It's about as big as a fish and chip shop too. There would have been no more than about 400 people in this town. So the Messiah, the person who has come to change the world, has gone to a town that is smaller than Darfield. Smaller than a sub... Does Darfield have suburbs? No. It's a small town. And out of that town, five of his core apostles came out of that town. Peter, John, James, Philip, 
And there's one more, Andrew. Came out of that one town. So the, the challenge I'm laying at your feet this morning is, none of you here are not good enough to be his disciples. None of you here are not good enough to be his disciples. In fact, you are the very people he wants. In all that you are. Here's a Rob statement. You can say, I won't be a disciple. You can say that, but you can't say, I can't be a disciple. You can't, you can't, can't say you're a disciple. God, Jesus, he went to the very smallest of the smallest place, out of a place where people would have just wandered right by, not even looking at it. And from there, he chose people who could change the world. Waltham is not inconsequential. A power Baptist church is not inconsequential to God's plans. Not at all. But there is a problem that we face as a church. Going back to that tree. And as I said, we are a community. Christ-centered community, growing, challenging and discipling people. But we have a problem and that problem is our focus. As Christians in general, we tend to like this part of Acts. Acts 2.41, which says, So those who received the word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, Christians in general are all about that, right? Let's see revival happen. How many of you heard that? It's going to happen. I can feel it. Just like Acts 2.41, we're going to have thousands show up to church. But you know what we forget? We tend to forget the next few verses. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed... Um, all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We're not a church plant. We're not a church plant in which this would apply. We're an established church where this applies. You with me? And you know what? If we do that, if we're doing that, guess what's going to happen? Guess what the Lord's going to do? What's he going to do? He's going to add to our numbers. And the Lord added to their number. If we're obedient to that, then the Lord will add. You with me? And that's what we tend to forget sometimes. We tend to forget the health of who we are as a community. Let's go out and evangelize. Let's go out and... Without realizing that unless we are actually at that place... 
then we allow the Lord to add to our numbers. We allow the Lord to add to our numbers. We think of it this way. That evangelism, in a sense, is an inpouring when it should be this, an outpouring. It's not the leaves of the tree that nurture the tree, right? What is it that nurtures the tree? And they go up through and then out into beautiful leaves. I I hear people tell me evangelism is a gift. You know what? Evangelism is not a gift. Let me just tell you that. It's not a gift. Evangelism is an outpouring of who you are in Christ. Now, there are different techniques to evangelism. Hugh is the best guy that I've ever met at being able to encounter people where they're at and lead them to Christ. Now, just to brag about myself, I've been around this world a few times and I've worked in a lot of churches. So this is a lot about Hugh. He's the best at it that I've ever met. Part of it's his technique, which he's good at. He's easy. He can go knocking on doors. He can people confront people. Some of us find that a bit scary. But evangelism is not just that. It's an outpouring of who I am in Christ. You with me on that? It's not a gift. Oh, well, he's gifted at it. He'll do it. No. It's an outpouring of who I am in Christ. I don't hide my love for Monica. I don't. I can't. I don't hide the love that I have for my children. I can't. They're my kids. I love them. I cannot hide the love that I have for Christ and God the Father. Why? Because I love them. It's an outpouring of who I am. If I believe the words that I will give my all to him, then man, I should be showing it. It should be just pouring out. And that's us as a church as well, us as a community. We need to be pouring out. So, the trunk of our church is growing, challenging disciples of Christ so that their outpouring will be seen for all will be seen by all. Just some verses to help you out. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You know, Jesus took three years before he released his people. Paul, when he first had his vision of Christ, took three years in Antioch before he got out. He learned, he studied, he walked, he, he, he conversed, he communicated, he, he communed with people as he grew in Christ and became stronger in his, in his outpouring. Then he went out. We're called to come together 
to grow in Christ. That's number one. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babes when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding the matters of this kind. Again, God's challenging us, and I can give you verse after verse where Paul, Jesus, Peter, they're just challenging us to grow in Christ, come together. And when we go to that early church in chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, you see what do they do together? They're coming to hear teaching. They're coming to, to grow together, to be challenged. And by doing that, the Lord adds to their number. Adds to their number. Out of that, being a Christ-centered community, growing, challenging, and discipling people, We need to be a sustainable community furthering God's kingdom. We need to be a sustainable community furthering God's kingdom. This is as we creep up the tree. You know, I've read a lot of books that ask that that talk about what is church. If you go to any store right now, any Christian bookstore, you'll see a plethora of books about what is church. There are movements that are trying to redefine what church is. The emerging church is one of those. And you hear buzzwords like missional, like organic. And one of the things that most movements have in common is we need to get back to what the original church was like. You ever heard that? We need to get back to the early church. In a sense, we do. And this is not to knock any of those movements because the one thing they have done is that they've questioned where we're at. And being questioned where we're at is a good thing. It's a challenging thing. It's a little naive, though, to say, let's go back to the early church. Anybody here wants to live in a room with eight other relatives? Anyone? I can bring you my relatives if you don't mind. That's the early church. The early church stayed up till midnight, most nights, listening to Bible studies. You guys want to do that? They stayed up so late that uh, in one story with Jesus talking way into the night, one guy fell out of the window, falling asleep. That's the early church. The early church got all they had and poured it into one pool and shared it amongst everybody. Talk about communism there, eh? You want to do that? Got to be careful when we say, let's get back to the early church. Because once you start saying that, then you need to take it in as a whole. One thing I do know for certain, God has called us to be together in community as God's people. For some of these movements, I think all they're trying to do is getting out of waking up early on a Sunday morning. It feels like that. Oh, let's just kind of float around. Which is good. You know, let's be Christ-like, not just on Sunday, every day of the week. But Sunday is the time when we all come together. 
And that is important for the Lord. Look around you. Have you seen any of these faces this week? I want to challenge you. A lot of you organize Sunday lunches. Stop organizing them. Because God wants you to commune with his people. So instead of just hearing and listening and then running out the door because you've got a family barbecue to be at, spend a few moments. Converse with your brothers and sisters. It may not be much, but it's time of fellowship. So though many, though we are many, we are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. It's not just members of Christ, but members of one another. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. Who's he talking to? Hmm? He's talking to the church. To the community of believers in Ephesus. He's telling them, with all humility, bear with one another. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Who is he talking to? The church in Thessalonica. Bear with one another. Encourage one another. Community is happening. And then Hebrews really tops it off. He says this, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, already at that time, people were kind of tired about getting up on a Sunday morning. You know, oh, you know I'd like to sleep in. Had a heavy week. Got a brunch. Got to go on holidays. Hey, I'm not trying to give you the guilt trip. We have things that happen, and that's fine. Okay? What I'm challenging you on is God's called us to come in community together. All as one body. That doesn't stop us from, from having Bible studies in the week. It doesn't stop us from communing in small groups together. But we are called to come together as a whole, to worship God, to be trained in his word, to be grown and to be challenged. And so as he says, don't neglect to meet with one another, as some of you already have. So, being a Christ-centered community, growing, challenging, and discipling people in Christ, going to that next step to be a sustainable community, furthering God's kingdom, and finally reaching, connecting, and caring. Reaching, connecting, and caring. Um, just read this from, from Luke uh, chapter 9. One of the best chapters in the whole Bible. I, I know I'm being biased, but this Luke chapter 9, I'll, I'll dwell on this a little bit, but it's an incredibly interesting chapter. But starting with this, in verse 1, he goes, One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't even take a walking stick, a traveling bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So they began to circuit the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. We're not just a come and watch movement. We're also a go and do movement. Okay? Part of who we are isn't just to come together and have a bit of a party 
or to be challenged to grow just spiritually. We're also challenged to go out and do. This is very, very fundamental in who we are. But we work from the bottom up, not the top down. You with me? And it's interesting too because there's one verse in Luke that I find that just doesn't sit too well with me. Everyone see that verse? That doesn't sound really crash hot, does it? This from a man who just said to do what? Yeah. Yeah. Abandon those people to their fate. Ouch! All those guys that are into love, how do you answer this one? It's interesting because the greatest commandment tells us this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is easy to break down. You shall love the Lord your God. He's quoting directly from Deuteronomy. Okay, He's actually taking it straight from the law. Chapter 6, verse 5 of Deuteronomy says exactly that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Okay. Well, the next part is also part of the law. Did you know that? Love your neighbor as yourself is part of the law. Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. Here's a question I've got for you, though. In reading that, who would the Israelites consider as their neighbor? Fellow Jews. You with me? Fellow Jews. Their neighbor wasn't everyone... It was those with whom they were journeying. That's a bit of a different spin, isn't it? It gets a little bit dicey. If you go to Luke chapter 10, the same situation, a lawyer asked Jesus, hey, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus uses the parable of the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan. But you know what? We focus on the Samaritan And we forget that actually I think Jesus is focusing on something else in that story. He's focusing on those who didn't do right by their brother. And that a stranger had to come in and do what their brothers should have done. And so the law, the lawyer and all the Pharisees there, they're listening to this thing and he's saying, look, you know what? That Samaritan showed more love than you were showing to your brothers. So when we hear that love your neighbor as yourself, I believe Jesus is saying, look around you. The people who are journeying with you, you need to love them as yourself. So when we see really awful things in the paper about our brothers or our sisters, we stand up for them. We walk alongside them. We challenge them if we need to. We hold them accountable if we have to. But we love them just as we love ourselves. 
Unfortunately, this love has been diluted in, in such a manner, it's like cordial. It's just this hazy water that really has no definition. We all interpret love as we want to interpret love. But God made it very clear. 1 John 4, 7. Love is, you will love me if you obey my commandments. You want to know what love is? 1 John 4, 7. You will love me if you obey my commandments. Who is my neighbor? Take a look around. Now, just so as I don't go too far with this, we have to have the heart of God with all people. And the heart of God is to see everyone healed, to see everyone come into a relationship with his son and with him and to share that love. But you know what? The early church didn't do much in the way of evangelism. They were good at loving one another and everyone saw that, wanted to be a part of that and the Lord added to their numbers. If we get that right, if we get that right, then the church will explode. Revival will come. That's why the church is dying today. That's why churches are empty. That's why, what is it, 30,000 people go to church on a Sunday? Out of how many? If we show that love amongst each other, the outpouring of that, be a love for everybody else. The Word of God is our foundation. Oh man, I love it. Had an interesting meet with the guys on Thursday night and got it in with one of them. Banging it back and forth. Loved it. Love it. He didn't agree with me, which means he was wrong. (laughs) But that's not the point. The point is we're having a good tussle over the Word of God. And believe you me, we're both winning on that one. We're both winning on that one. That's our basis. That's who we are. But out of that, as a power Baptist church, we are being, we want to be a Christ-centered community, growing, challenging, and discipling people in Christ. And out of that, be a sustainable community, furthering God's kingdom, reaching, connecting, and caring, working from the ground up. That's pretty cool, hey? So you heard a little bit of what I'm going to share on Wednesday night. Doesn't mean you shouldn't come. There's actually a few other things I want to share with you. Because there are going to be some changes. There are going to be some things we want to hash out. And I need your input. I really do need your input. I want it. Because that's what it means to be part of a community. That's a challenge at our feet this morning. Not to be inwardly focused, but to be inward looking out so that the growth inward will be an outpouring. Ask our worship team to come up.
Jesus chose. He didn't go get the best philosophers. So if you feel you can't talk, if you feel it's hard to learn, let me challenge you this morning. He's not interested in that. He's interested in your obedience. It doesn't take much. If you feel you're inadequate, let me tell you, those guys from Bethsaida must have felt the same way when they went across all of Europe and the Middle East and the Mediterranean, preaching the word of God, living in community and seeing it flourish from men that weren't learned men, men that didn't have a college degree, poor fishermen from an insignificant place in the world, but in God's eyes, absolutely significant. Waltham is significant to God. A power Baptist church is significant to God. You are significant to God. Full stop. Father God, we lift you up. and We honor you this morning, Lord. As we are challenged to be the people you've called us to be. Help us, Lord, we pray. It's not by our own strength that we can do it, but it's by your spirit, Lord. And so I pray your spirit be upon us. Lead us, give us the strength we need to follow your route, to be on your road, and to see your kingdom come in this place. Use us, Father, we pray. The deepness of your love through your son is incredible, Lord. Help us to share that love with one another. Who is our neighbor? Look around. What is that love? Look at Jesus. Challenge us and guide us, Lord, in your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.